Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Evolution Podcast, where we question what makes our life truly ours. I'm Shereen Jaffer, and I'm very excited to introduce you to some incredible people with fascinating stories. I've got Sasha here with me. I met Sasha through actually coming across an article she had written. It's titled, My Friends in San Francisco Scared Me. Uh, Sasha got pretty popular on Medium. Um, I believe you mentioned uh, it was the number one in the San Francisco category for uh, two weeks and over you know, 25,000 people have read it. Um, I'm not surprised, uh, but it's great to have you here, Sasha. And I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about your story and you know, what led you to ultimately write this article and, and what you're up to now. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Shireen. I'm both ex- happy and excited to share this story and also really sad to to share it as much as I do because it's not something that I really you know when it when people want to hear this story it's normally because it resonates with them and I think it's a really sad story sad to hear that it's resonating with people but um I'm I, I think it's I think it's important to talk about so <laughs> yeah, I can I can definitely resonate with that. I lived in San Francisco for four years. Um, so when I read your story, it hit home. Uh, definitely. So yeah, I can I can understand the mixed feelings there. But let's let's, you know, go go a little a, a few steps back. Um, let's start with how you grew up. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, your background. Yeah. So to preface this a little bit, where where this story that we're alluding to is going is to it's a story about burnout and a story about spiraling from burnout into depression and anxiety. And so I want to unravel and kind of go back, trace back the steps that that brought that had that happen. And so just I guess background on me, I I grew up in Minnesota. I am the child of immigrants from Belarus, and I I think I had a very like typical childhood. I grew up in the suburbs. I loved hanging out with friends. I loved reading, and one of kind of the the values that I think I was brought up with that a lot of my friends share is that you always want to strive to reach your fullest potential and you want to strive for success. And a lot of times success in the way that I was brought up is some kind of generally higher paying, higher status career. And that's kind of the background that I've been operating under for most of my life. Yeah, I can. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are resonating. I know when I grew up or when I talked to my friends and even podcast guests I've had, right? Almost everyone says stability, that high paying job, being at a company that was, you know, whose name was well recognized, all of those things determined or defined success for them growing up. Um, so it sounds pretty typical. <laughs> Yeah, I just kind of just down the the standard path. Um, you know, growing up, it was important to get you know succeed academically, and then in college and coming out of college, it was important to 
get a kind of successful profession or get on professional successful professional track. And I, I ended up in um, management consulting first. I loved management consulting and I also was very much driven by, okay, I'm going to go do these things because they're going to make me successful. But I happen to also really like all those things, which I, I think is interesting. And that's, and, and that's sometimes rare too. I think a lot of people do things that they believe will get them to their success, but you know, they often don't like doing those things. So it's great to hear that that was the experience you had, especially as you pursued management consulting right out of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that how you found yourself in San Francisco or did that come after you had a couple of years in consulting? Yeah. So I was at a management consulting firm in Los Angeles and then I was there for three years and I decided to move into kind of tech startups. And one part I did that, you know, just because that's what everyone consulting does out of everyone that I started with. Um, nobody stayed after that three years. Everyone went to either business school, private equity, or startups. And startups really appealed to me. It was really that part about, oh, if you if you join a startup at the right time and you're at the right startup, you can get all of these really incredible career opportunities. So learning was there, but that that motivation around success and professional success was also a huge motivator. Yeah. You know, people are motivated by multiple things, but I, I, when I look back, I, I look back and I'm like, Oh, I was, I've always been motivated by success. And, and I happen to see that, Oh, I'm happiest when I'm learning, but that I don't, I haven't actually made decisions to solve for learning. I make decisions to solve for success. And oftentimes those two correspond. Um, but that let's do whatever will make us most successful was kind of like what I was raised with is like how you should make all your decisions. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Definitely resonate with that. So, okay. So you want to go into tech. Um, you feel like it'll help you. It'll increase your chances of, you know, being successful in the way that you defined it back then. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to take a minute and also talk about, I, I have a lot of friends who are in consulting or who've uh, pivoted away from consulting, just like you mentioned, you know, the three mm-hmm. paths, business school, equity, private equity, or, or tech. And I, I found that oftentimes startups are heavily romanticized and San Francisco, uh, you know, when I was talking to my friends, you know, two, three years ago, when they were making those changes, there was some interesting appeal to San Francisco, um, and I was living in the city back then. So it was definitely an interesting experience for me to kind of just see my friends outside of SF talking about it. But tell me a little bit more about when you were going through that transition, how did you think about it? How did you feel about San Francisco? How did you feel about tech in general? Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I, I, when I moved to San Francisco, I, I remember just like walking around and just being so happy I was there. I was so excited that it was like a walkable city. I loved that I could so easily meet up with friends and I really enjoyed how I think I think I found it really easy to make friends in San Francisco because everyone is so similar to each other in some ways. Everyone's so excited about tech and I I loved the job when I started it. I, I really did. It's I loved every part about it. 
and yeah, it was like, I mean, I saw, I saw the like homelessness crisis and I would walk by and there would be, um, kind of smell of urine and needles on the street and, and all of that. But like overarchingly, I was just, I, I thought that this had been like a great, great move. And I felt like so lucky to, to be there and to have the opportunities that I did. And where do you think that came from? That feeling of luck um, or just feeling like you were lucky to be there? Where do you feel like that feeling came from? I think there's always that element of um, probably for for women um, that imposter syndrome. So it's like, oh, like whenever when anything's going like super great, it's like, oh, well, I probably didn't like deserve this. I think that's always a little bit there for me underlying. Um, but I don't know. I just like, well, another element of it is I had um, so in between LA and San Francisco, I spent six months living in South Africa and I saw a lot of, um, just a lot of extreme poverty in developing countries. And that was also a piece playing in my head at the time of feeling so lucky to be just in the U S and in San Francisco with all these like economic opportunities and standard of living and all of that. Totally. Yeah. There's no denying the access you get uh, within a city where so much is happening and so many different thoughts um, are coming together to create, you know, beautiful inventions and whatnot. So definitely there's no undermining that. Um, Okay. So you're in San Francisco and you're excited and you feel lucky and you, you know, you're making new friends. Uh, What happens then? How was your first year living in the city work-wise? So it started with just having a lot of these really interesting, intellectually challenging projects. So I happened to be the first kind of former management consultant that joined the startup. And so I had the opportunity to kind of pitch projects that I thought would be important for us to do and then get to do them. And they continued to make a higher and higher impact where I started just ending up working with the executive team on things like we were, we were expanding internationally. So how do we prioritize the order that we're going to enter the cities? And then what are the targets we're going to have for each region so that we can you know, figure out our manufacturing orders by region? And what is the cost structure that we need to achieve in order to hit profitability. There's a lot of very interesting strategic projects that let me learn a lot. And throughout this kind of, I'd say like my first six months or so at this startup, I I worked all the time. I I was up. I remember I'd, I'd wake up and I had like so few hours of sleep. Uh, that like my eyes would burn when I try and put contacts in and I'd be drinking like four shots of espresso and not always, but sometimes. Uh, and I was always thinking about work. So when I was a consultant, when I came home, I was, I was kind of done thinking about work. I didn't think about it anymore. On the weekends, I didn't think about work here. I never stopped thinking about work. I even when I was hanging out with friends in the back of my head, 
I'd be thinking about a project and I often spent time with work friends and that I kind of justified to myself like, okay, it's okay to have fun and not be working because these are, these are friends from work and it is good to build relationships with people from work. And I, and I somehow felt that I need to justify to myself every second that I wasn't spending working and yeah, it, but I also, I, but I also woke up every day and I was so excited to go to work. Uh, Because I was doing all these really, just the type of projects that I love doing and learning a lot and had a lot of autonomy and thought thought I was making like a really big impact. So it was all very motivating. Yeah, I I have, again, when I lived in SF, I noticed this, but, you know, I talked to so many friends who, again, love the work they're doing and they really believe in the companies that they work with but they do find themselves working all the time and thinking about work all the time. I, I mean, to a point where I don't know if you felt this. Um, I don't know if you did because you generally, you know, like the work, I guess, but I was at a park. This was pre COVID. This was like mm-hmm. probably a year ago. Um, but I was at a park and I, in, I was at Dolores park in San Francisco. And I remember overhearing a discussion where, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but something along the lines of, you know, they were talking about a project that they're working on. And um, the, the man was complaining about how, you know, he's, he's doing a really good job and he keeps getting promoted, but the promotion is not a pay raise. It's more of a work raise. Like you're just <laughs> asking to do more work. And, and I remember the, his, his friend had said, well, you know, that's what they do. You get punished to do good work. They're just going to start relying on you more and more. So, you know, back up a little and and try not to work so hard so that they don't keep punishing you. And it was such a, and I've heard this over and over again um, over time, but ha- does that resonate at all with you or what you- So much, so much. Yeah, it's, you know, the reward for doing good work felt like it was just more work. I definitely felt that way. There was also this added, I guess, stress that came from the fact that very quickly we did multiple reorgs. And so when I joined, I thought I had a clear picture of, you know, here's what my opportunities here would be from like a career progression standpoint. And after all these reorgs, I now feel like not only do I need to spend time, you know, doing the work, but I also have to spend all this time trying to figure out how to like position myself almost politically because all of this change is constantly happening. What happens at startups, but you also get these funny setups where like people can be very misleveled. Like people, and this is like, this is, I feel like it's so annoying to complain about this, but you know, you have people at higher levels that it doesn't feel like should be there and people um, that are doing great work that are more junior than you. And you're like, why are they like, you know, how, well, how does this make any sense? And that can be kind of disheartening just to see things that don't seem fair, but no, it's more of a minor point. Oh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's very important point to just put out there because, so I work with a lot of companies and I advise them on people operations. And I can't tell you how many people leaders that I work with that say, oh, our culture is great. And, you know, we do all these things for our, uh, for our people. And we have these meals and we have these hangouts and we have these lunch and learn series and our managers do one-on-ones routinely. 
And then when we go and talk to the people on the ground, there is a lot of, you know, the disheartening sentiment that's going on because there's these weird dynamics at play that leaders aren't paying attention to. Or if they're paying attention to them, they just don't prioritize them as things to think of. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I mean, you can have, you can love your work and it can be great, but it, if, if you feel like things aren't fair, that's kind of like a table stakes thing that I think can really actually ruin a job, even if it's apart from that awesome and you love the day to day. If you feel like something's totally. unfair, uh, I don't that was that was that was part of my experience for sure. It wasn't it wasn't so acute in any way it wasn't like an overriding issue i'll i'll circle back to like what are what were my overriding issues but um i definitely saw that and i definitely was part of a number of you know you know conversations with people around that kind of that topic yeah and to put it into perspective sasha what year was your first year in san francisco 2018 okay so relatively recent yeah, um, yeah, this is all very recent. Amazing. Okay, very cool. So, all right, then let's go to the overarching reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah. Year, year two in San Francisco, what's going on for you? So, so this actually, my entire time in San Francisco happened within a year. So, oh, wow. okay. uh, yeah, this is going to be like a, a very, um, very abrupt story almost. So, so let's say like the first six months. I, I essentially join a startup and I am given full kind of, I'm given more autonomy than I ever have before. And it's like work as much as you want. And there's just, there's no end of things to do. And so I do all of it. I'm like, yes, I sign up. Like I will do it. I will do all of it. And so I, I essentially, my entire life is just my work. There's nothing else happening in my life. Like I one of the things I love to do is read. I essentially stopped reading. If I was reading, it'd be a management book. And I I felt like I had to like justify to myself why I was spending time not working and reading. I love hanging out with friends and I kind of same thing. It's like, well, no, no, I'm only going to hang out with friends that are from work and only like a short amount of time. I love traveling and I just stopped doing it because I didn't want to take PTO. I I had nothing like really in my life um, apart from just working, that was the main thing. And so my entire identity was just centered on this. And when I loved my job, that's great. Um, and it, and it helps me be more successful at the job. Challenge came in, uh, was when I started hating my job because that meant I started hating my life. Um, and why, why did that even happen? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, like any, any job probably has ups and downs. So it was kind of just like, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's like very unique or very um, like special that like, oh, I, I went from loving my job to, you know, hating it, or I like, you know, liked it a lot to not liked it. I think that happens to everybody at some cycle in their job. My issue was that I had just put my entire like life and identity in this job so that when that happened, it was super dangerous for me. Um, in my particular case, the reason why I started disliking my job was because 
I moved from doing all these strategic projects on setting up, okay, here are the targets, essentially, here's a plan for the company to just keeping the executive team up to date on how we were tracking toward the plan. Made a ton of sense for me, for me to be the one asked to do that. Um, but I personally just kind of stopped learning because of that. It's a, it's like kind of a reporting function, so it's not that interesting. And, um, but second, I kept, kept working a really long hours and I'd be just thrown these really urgent requests all the time. And I, and that's, that's pretty stressful. Um, and also just like, I felt like I had no control over my day. I had no idea what would happen. Like, would I get another email asking to put this together for investors or this together? And then, um, another part is I just, I just didn't think it was that impactful. I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm like doing all these forecasts or reports and like, it's not, it's not changing anything. It's, it's just reporting. It's not doing things. And so I kind of lost, um, really any of the things that normally motivate me a lot in my job. But if I thought back to myself, I was like, well, this is what the company needs me to do. Um, this is the highest value I can add and I don't want to leave or I shouldn't leave. I just, so I just kind of ignored the fact that I hated waking up and going to work every day and just kept doing it and kept working these crazy hours. And yeah. Why not, why not leave? Well, there wasn't, I couldn't think of a good reason to leave. Like I, I was like, okay, well, I could go to another startup, but then and startups are really uncertain. And then I'd have to go prove myself all over again. And it took me, like, I'm, I'm actually in a really unique position at this company. I don't think um, it, it, it would be quite difficult to um, have the level of kind of trust and credibility that I have. I came in kind of right before an entire new executive team was brought in. And so I have very strong relationships with them. And I was like, that's probably unlikely that timing and that I felt very lucky on the timing that I had joined this company. And so I was like, that's probably unlikely to happen again. And like, this is like a very, um, uh, to get promoted. I have built these great relationships here. I am thinking about applying to business school, so I can't leave uh, because I need to get recommendations for that. Like uh, this is a logical thing to do. So I need to stay here. Um, There's no good reason to leave. And yeah, and I just, success looks like having like career progress and I'm, I'm successful by all accounts. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I asked because I think, I mean, you nailed it. I think so many people feel the way you were feeling when it comes to not really, you know, I think, I mean, I think people feel this, whether they enjoy their work or not, but especially when you're not enjoying the work, the motivations have changed, Um, but you hang on, you stay because, you know, you have the equity in the company or they're paying you well and the paycheck is nice. Or again, it's that sexy company in San Francisco that it would be foolish to leave. Um, or so what, you know, people are, are kind of talk about it as So yeah, I, that's why I asked because I think it's a very common experience. Um, by the way, before, you know, obviously 
there's so much to the story and we'll come, we'll keep going. But I do have a quick question. Do you feel like you were the only one feeling this way? Did you sense similar feelings with your friends while you were going through it? Mm, While I was going through it. Yes. Yeah. I, I did see it in a lot of people. Um, and, and if I started talking about it, other people that I hadn't heard say anything would, would all of a sudden it turn out that they also were feeling very much the same way, but yeah. also, yeah. So many of them, the golden handcuffs thing is so real in Silicon Valley. And, you know, if you're at a big company, it's, it's real golden handcuffs where it's like very clear. They, they can, um, you know, if you stay a certain amount of time, it's like a publicly traded company. So you know exactly or roughly exactly how much money you're going to be losing if you leave. And then even at the startups, you're like, well, no, I have to vest and I can't leave now. Um, and yeah, I guess a lot of people were just um, like, oh yeah, the this is what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to, like I'm supposed to work and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be great. Like work isn't, you're supposed to struggle and not be happy um, if that's what it takes to be successful. And so we're on the path to success. So, okay, we'll stay the course. Yeah. It's so interesting because I do believe in struggle and we learn a lot from struggle, but that's very different from losing your identity and not feeling like you're doing anything worthwhile. Like the struggle you know, the struggle is worth it because someone is telling you that one day it'll be worth it because you'll get X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's very different. And I think it's important for, I mean, it's different for everybody. I think it's important to reflect on however you're struggling, what does that struggle really feel like for you? And who are you really struggling for? What are you struggling for? What are those definitions of success that you're working towards? So um, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. The thing that I was... I guess I was struggling toward, I was struggling toward the next promotion and then the one after that, the next one. And then I, I want to raise up. I just want to move up as quickly as possible. That's, that's what I'm struggling toward. And that just seemed like the obvious thing you're supposed to struggle for. Like you're supposed to reach your full potential and that means always progressing. But I, what I, I realized, like I didn't really have a clear picture of what I was progressing toward or why I don't think everyone actually is driven by the same thing. So it's funny to, to, for everyone to have the same definition of success, or at least me taking on what I thought was everyone's definition of success. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, okay. So let's go back to your story. So you've now recognized that you don't really love getting up in the mornings. You don't want to go to work. Um, yeah. That's the headspace you're in. So tell us more. Yeah, so it it was actually, it was much more gradual than that. It was, now I look back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what was happening. But it it, it kind of just started slowly where um, I, in the beginning, I just had so much energy. Like, I don't even know how. I wasn't sleeping very much, but I just, like, I, I would be excited <laughs> to go do things on the weekends. I'd get, I'd get energy from work and then I'd have more energy on the weekends. And then something kind of started shifting where I... I would get to the weekends and I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, I don't really want to do anything. I just want to um, recharge. It's just like, you know, makes sense. Um, but then it just kind of, I started dreading 
like just going, like starting the week again and, and just every kind of day I'd like wait until the weekend and then I kind of get to the weekend and I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't, I don't even want to hang out with people. I don't want to do anything. I just kind of want to rest. And yeah, my, my energy was just draining away. Like week after week, I was just forcing myself to get through the week. And then, and then I'd start the next week with even less energy than I did the previous one because the weekend didn't do anything. And yeah, it was just kind of, it just kind of was slow and gradual. Um, I didn't realize what was happening, but the, the aha moment for me was I, I had just gotten promoted and I started having anxiety. I'd, I'd never had, I've been lucky. I never had anxiety before in my life. And I, I didn't know, I didn't understand what was happening at all. And I stopped eating food. <laughs> I stopped eating food for like three days. I was nauseous. Um, I'd wake up like super nauseous and my thoughts were racing and spinning. And I, I was trying to grab, I was trying to just get myself to eat some rice. I was at work. And one of my friends um, who had been traveling for a little while came up to me and she said, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm fine. She's like, no, actually, like, how are you doing? And I just started crying and I couldn't stop. I, I just couldn't stop at all. Um, also very uncharacteristic for me. And yeah, and that, that was kind of my like aha moment of like, okay, no, this is like a, this is a real problem. I'm like, not, I'm, I've this can't, this can't go on. I, I can't live like this. I can't, I can't go crying sporadically. I can't feel this way. Something needs to change. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had kind of gradually over those months, I had been going through an episode of depression. And, and now this was kind of anxiety layered on top of that. Wow. That's yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think it takes some, um, it's unfortunate that it often takes those moments to really help us become more aware of what our bodies have been trying to tell us. Right. And I, and I, and I've, and I know how hard it is it, when you're going through it uh, to have that awareness, because again, you have so many outside environmental influences telling you everything looks great. You work at a great company. There's nothing for you to be sad about. Cheer up, like just another day, get through it. I know the feeling. Um, and I've, you know, it's so funny. I've never even, I've always had my own thing. I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, and so, and even then I can relate to this because I've had moments where, you know, I was choosing to handle my business in a way I thought I should handle it, even though it didn't align with what I believed. And those weeks, months, uh, the entire year, I'm thinking back to like, I think it was 2014, that entire year, I remember wanting, waiting for the weekend. Like it was a countdown to the weekend and then the weekend would come and I would be so anxious all weekend because I was worried it was passing by too fast and you had the next week coming up. So, uh, but I remember even in those moments, I would have so many external influences saying, but you have your own business and look at what you're doing and, and, you know, cheer up and, you know, people have it so much worse. And so it, I remember breaking down in the bathroom by myself. Uh, and that was my wake up call of, 
okay, something is not right. You're literally, I, I remember it was something, I think I'd like drop toothpaste. Like I kid you not, it was something so simple. I dropped toothpaste and I just broke down. Yeah. And that was my wake up call of fallen toothpaste should not be making you this sad. What the heck is going on? Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. I think a lot of people will resonate with that experience, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I just, I ignored it for so long. Like I felt all these things. I just ignored it because I just, I thought about it rationally. I was like, oh, there's no reason I should feel this way. Yep. No good reason. Everything's going the way it's supposed to. Or I'd say like, oh yeah, you know, I don't really, um, don't really like what I'm doing today. But then I think about it and be like, nope, but that's, that's what I should keep doing. That makes the most sense. Like, you know, in you know, six months or however long, you know, it can change. You just got to get through it. Like, stop complaining. Like what, like these feelings don't make any sense. Don't agree with them. Let's ignore them. And um, yeah, apparently if you are, I guess I won't speak for everyone else, but apparently if I do that to myself, then um, my body doesn't really let me do that. And it decides it's going to uh, override my logic and reason and physically let me know that it's quite unhappy with the choices that I'm making. Oh yeah. Your body has a wonderful way of telling you exactly what it needs you to hear. And it'll, it'll make it known. I, I, Sasha went, uh, maybe this was, it was 2014, maybe it was 2013. Anyway. So I remember when I was going through my year, it, um, it manifested in this weird twitch I got in my left leg, mm. which would keep me from walking. Like mm-hmm. I, we, I could not move my left leg. I could not bend my knee. I was, I remember getting in a wheelchair. I remember my you know, mom and dad having to um, like come down and help me. And it was a mess. And I've, I think after that year, it probably came back maybe once and then I've never had it again. So it's the inflammation really definitely kicks in. But of course, there's many different ways your body will make it known that it needs you to stop and listen and figure out what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds terrible. And that's so scary, too, because you're like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was constantly, I constantly had a cold. I always had a cold. Yeah. (laughs) never went away. (laughs) You know, um, I so Deborah Benton, who I think was episode three um, on my podcast, she said the same thing. She said it manifested for her. It often manifests in a cold that doesn't go away for months. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I I kind of you know it just probably started as burnout, and then I ignored it, and then it kind of spiraled into this depression where. I was very functional. Um, most of my friends, when I kind of, after the fact was like, Oh, I was going through depression. They're like, Oh, you didn't like, you just seem a bit sad. And I was like, like, no, like I, I, I was just, I was like, so um, like, Oh, the world, there's no point to anything. I'm not, ex- I'm not excited about anything. I can't think of a single thing I'm looking forward to. Like I was in this really, really, really dark place. Um, I still did everything like kind of what I would normally do, I guess, at work. 
and then I kind of hole up on the weekends and just not do anything. Um, but in my head, it was, it was really dark and just like, it was really unhappy. Um, and uh, yeah, thinking everything is miserable and, and pointless and like, what am I doing? And but I'll, okay, fine. I'll keep doing it. Cause that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then what eventually helped you through it? Yeah. So after I had that breakdown where I just, I just cried to this friend <laughs> for two hours. Um, I, you know, that, that was kind of it that, um, that's when I called it more or less. Um, and I will preface this by saying like, I I was very lucky in that I had the financial means to take time and not work. That wasn't, um, the financial part wasn't a real concern for, you know, at least, um, a good number of months time. So I, I told my manager I need to take time. I flew home. I saw a doctor. I well, was prescribed antidepressants. Uh, apparently, those do not work the next day, which I was very sad to hear. But um, they, I personally, for me, I, I, I think they were very helpful. Um, and yeah, I when I came back, I, I ended up taking a leave of absence for a month. Um, but essentially I, I, we were kind of negotiating whether I just resign or take a leave of absence. And, um, my, my manager is really, um, you know, kind and everyone was really, you know, understanding. Um, and we ended up going with a leave of absence, but it ended up coming back after that. And I took, I would almost say it, so it got better right away of when I was like, okay, I'm going to make all these changes and I felt relief. And then it got worse because I now left my job and I was okay, I'm just focused on getting better. And I kind of, for some reason in my head, I had this idea that after four weeks, I will be better. And when I wasn't, when I wasn't feeling myself like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm back to normal now. I, I think I just kept, I was really like beating myself up about it and feeling really guilty. Like, how could you do this? How could you just take this time off and then like not get better? And you're like, you're, you must be really weak and like other people don't are fine. And like, like, yeah, um, I really beat myself up, up about it. And so, yeah, um, kind of did that for a little while but in general the main things that I that did help were exercising definitely really really important just getting on a normal sleep schedule and um, ultimately what actually really helped was just like letting go and saying okay stop worrying about like your um, career, trying to be like succeed in something, just your only goal is to be happy. Just focus on being happy. Like take a whole, so for me, I was like, um, I told myself, take a whole year and do whatever you want to be happy. 
And that kind of was very freeing for me and kind of let me finally stop feeling guilty and shift my logic to being, okay, success now looks like being happy. How can I do that? And that really, I think, accelerated the healing process. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I think, um, well, two things there. I think one, yeah, it's a common misconception, unfortunately, that, you know, taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety, you know, medication, it is the cure, right? Um, But oftentimes it's not. It it needs to be coupled with whether it's therapy or whether it's these like major lifestyle changes that, you know, you went through yourself. Uh, I think it's very important to point those things out um, because I, I do have so many friends who are um, on these, you know, pain medication, but do not, are not feeling what they expected to feel. Um, but that's also because literally nothing in their life has changed outside of the medication. And so there's all these very strong influences in their lives that lead them to, you know, this miserable um, state of mind. So uh, thank you for sharing that part. And second, you know, financially, and this is, you know, we could have a completely separate discussion on this, but I do think about people that don't have the financial means and yeah. all the society, right? Like what, how do we prevent from this happening in the first place? Because the last thing I want for people is to get there and then not, I mean, and I know so many people are here right now where they don't feel like they have a choice. They don't have the financial means to be able to take time off and whatnot. So uh, again, probably a separate conversation, but it's, um, I don't know if you've experienced this with maybe your friends or, you know, people you've worked with, but that's something that definitely keeps me up at night is figuring out how we can support, you know, more people uh, in that boat, which I believe are the majority. Yeah. No, I, and yeah, I, I think about that all the time about how lucky I was to have the options that I did on, Hey, I'm, I'm in a bad place on mental health. Let me just stop everything and focus on fixing that. And just having that incredible privilege to, to be able to do that. Um, And I will, I mean, I'll say, you know, regardless of finances, um, there are, again, just for listeners, like there are options, there are absolutely options that, yeah, it might not be, of course, that, you know, you can take a year, um, you might not have the opportunity to do that. But there are so many other ways that you can at least take a step towards, um, you know, a happier life and, and a better life. And, um, again, the resources out there. And if anyone that's listening wants to tap into those resources, please reach out. Um, but, you know, going back, Sasha, to your story. So, you know, you've got this year. What do you really use this year's doing? And by the way, did you, at the time, did you actually say, I'm going to take a year? Like, was it a hard one year deadline or um, it, did it naturally come about? So I didn't, I, it's not a hard deadline. But I had this idea in my head of, you know, take a gap year, essentially. Um, And not that I needed this justification, but I I happened to graduate college in two years. So I was like, oh, well, you're already two years ahead. So just take one of those years just to focus on your mental health and just be happy. Go just go like go backpack, go travel, go do whatever you want. 
take that gap year. Um, and I, I shouldn't have needed to justify it to myself, but that's kind of how I did. And then. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because absolutely you don't need to justify it, but the majority of us do feel like we have to justify it. Uh, similar to, of course, you know, what you were going through. Um, and it's, and it's funny how that, I mean, it's not funny. It's, it's, it's no surprise that we do justify it in wasted years, right? Like, oh, we're mm-hmm. not gonna, I think I literally was just talking about gap years yesterday. I wrote about it on my LinkedIn. I was, it, it was, it was just yesterday. And so gap years is really uh, recent in my head as a topic. And one of the biggest things I was talking to a few folks about was gap years isn't just for, you know, that one year between high school and college, which is what it's commonly known for, Right. Gap year can happen for college kids. Like right now, there are so many college students worried about, you know, going back to school in the fall and what that looks like. And if they can't go back on campus and have the same type of access that they believe the college education was actually worthwhile for, then, you know, does it make sense to even go back and invest all that money? Um, But they're too afraid to take gap years because for them, you know, similarly to Sasha, to how, you know, you voiced having to justify it to them. It's, well, I don't want to waste a year. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fall behind. And obviously I have my own opinion there, but want to hear from you on, you know, you're, you're kind of going through this year right now, right? Um, this is part of the year. Yes. 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 And <laughs> on that, on that point, I have family member kind of raised that thing of like, you're wasting your time. You could be you know, progressing. You could be, um, and I was like, no, like the, the waste of time was those months when I was going through depression. That's, that's not life. Like that's, yeah. that, that is a waste of life, literally a waste of life. Um, you, you, when you're in that awful, awful mental state where your like mind is attacking itself, that is, I was like, that's a waste. I, I, I would do anything to not feel that way. Um, so I was like, this is not a waste. Like this is compared to that. This is the opposite of that. Oof, that got my heart. I, um, yeah, I agree. I also think progression, right? You need to be progressing in life and this linearity, it's not even just the linearity. It's this like climbing up the ladder is progress, but holistically we're not even looking at how we're actually making progress as humans as you know whoever we want to be uh and the type of life we truly genuinely want to live uh Mm -hmm. i think progress is also an interesting again goes back to your definition of success and how it's really defined for you so how has this year been what have you been doing yeah so i I came across, well, actually a couple of friends both independently recommended this book to me. It's called Designing Your Life. Um, it's, it's written by two Stanford professors who have a course at Stanford by that name that's kind of using design principles to your life. And I didn't actually read the whole thing, but I skimmed a lot of it. Um, well, it's it's not actually something you really read. There's a bunch of exercises in it. And one of them was this concept of rapidly prototyping. And the thought was essentially, it's like first you do a thought experiment where you think about, okay, what would I love to do? And I thought about it in terms of kind of just like 
yeah, I have, I have this year. What, what would I love to do more than anything else? And, and I just started testing them. So at first I was like, I just love to read. I just want to sit and read. And that's all I want to do. So I did that. I just, I just read so many books. Um, but then I got sick of that and I was like, well, like, you know, I'm learning a lot, but like, I actually want to like do something. Um, so, I mean, so one, at first I like put together this like book list and like sent it to all my friends. Cause I'm like, oh, well now I get to like, then I've created something. Then I was like, okay, well, um, I okay, maybe, maybe just staying home and reading books doesn't work. Why don't I like go to national parks? This is pre-coronavirus. Uh, and like go on hikes and listen to audiobooks, and that will be great. And I tried that and I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't, still don't know if I can see myself doing this for a whole year. And then I tried, um, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go backpacking. So then I like tried staying in a hostel and seeing what I, if I like that. And I was like, oh, you know, this is nice, but like, I don't know if I want to do this for a whole year. Then I came back home and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe honestly, maybe I'm just like a workaholic and I just need to go find a job, another job. So I started looking at jobs and I was like, no, 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 no. I'd rather go travel than find a job. Never mind. Then I, um, I've always really liked politics. And so I was like, I'm going to write an email newsletter that's going to talk about major world events, but from different international angles. So same story, but what did China say? What did North Korea say? What did Russia say? What did the U.S. say? Uh, and, and kind of synthesize that. I started doing that. Uh, and I loved the output of it, but I was like waking up every morning dreading it. I was like, oh, I have those like hours and hours of homework. Just, it just, I just, I just didn't enjoy the process. So I was like, okay, no email newsletter. Uh, and then, um, and then I, I had like a, that was one kind of like, it's not that, I don't know if I'd call that like a startup, but like I had all these like ideas of like startup-y things. And, um, and then I landed on the one that I'm currently working on and I've been uh, working on for about five months now and essentially the idea there is that actually I'll, I'll actually just go through the story of how I came up with it I was talking to my little sister and we both listened to this podcast by Guy Raz called how I built this uh, interviews entrepreneurs and it was there had just been an interview about away luggage and I was thinking to myself like wouldn't it be great if you could know about away luggage before it got big and I realized that there's all these brands out there that are selling directly to consumers through their websites so if you can analyze website traffic and see it spiking you can kind of get a sense of what are those big brands are going to be up next and then I kind of put together this little website and showed it to my friends that did that. It had all these um, kind of brands that you commonly see advertised on Instagram that are not on Amazon, showed it to my friends and it had trending and they looked at it and they were like, oh, this is, you know, interesting, but I need to see reviews. And yeah, I realized that the reason that companies like Yelp or TripAdvisor create any real value isn't because they have these lists of hotels or restaurants ranked in order by popularity, it's because they have all these reviews. And I realized that what we really need in this kind of space of all these brands that aren't on Amazon is one central kind of go-to review platform that has reviews. And 
the idea has morphed a little bit more now too, where that the platform for that isn't really the ideal platform like that isn't actually like a Yelp. It's more of a social networking app like Instagram. It's just that instead of Instagram, your feed are your friends' product reviews. And so it's your friends posting pictures and a one to five star rating of every brand. And then you can search, let's say like a mattress and see what mattresses your friends have rated. Anyway, long story, but I kind of went through this journey of just kind of like just going through different ideas and learning what I actually liked. Um, and yeah, landed on the, what, what I'm working on right now, which is launching this review platform because I just really love the process of it. And I was solving for like, what gets you excited to wake up in the morning and do? And this just got me really excited. And <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Good. I, well, I, again, as a fellow founder, I know that feeling of just, again, just being so genuinely excited about what you're building. So I love that you're in that mode. Um, as you were learning about things that you found uh, fun, like, did anything shock you? Did anything surprise you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me more there. So I, I, I thought like, well, I, every part of it, I was shocked. Like I thought I would just be su super happy just reading all the time. Like if I picture myself retiring, I'm like, oh, I'll just like sit around and read all the time. And apparently <laughs> like, no, I don't like that. I, I like the idea of like creating something. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, I'll create something. I'll create this email newsletter. But like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a journalist. Like, that's not what I enjoy doing. And uh, I think this, uh, like, what I'm doing right now, the startup's called Next Brand, that gives me so many opportunities to learn and build something. And I also have a team of uh, interns from the university that's here that are working with me that I also realized like this actually adds a ton of, I don't know, energy to, to me apart from also just being really important to the success of what we're building. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of started realizing here's what I like and here's what I don't like. And it wasn't necessarily what I thought. Yeah. I think so many of us are, um, we spend so much of our time trying to be the best for whether it's our company, whether it's a partner, whether it's our friends, whether it's family, it doesn't, you know, what, whatever it is, but we try for so long to try to be there, to be our best self for them, right? And really understand them and what they like and what they need. And we invest so much of our energy in that, that we don't even realize we haven't spent that energy in ourselves, that we don't mm -hmm. even know what we like. What we need. Uh, uh, so I love that you were shocked and surprised along the way and really got to know yourself better. And it goes back to our conversation around gap years. And again, that is not wasted time. You're really getting to know your strengths and what you gravitate towards and how you can, you know, truly be your best self. And ultimately that shows in the work you do and how you treat people. So uh, again, I'm very happy to hear that for you. Yeah. The biggest thing, though, that I've like learned out of this entire experience is that I need to have a mix of things in my life. And it's such a basic, you know, 
concept, but for me, it's so real. It's like, you cannot only have work as your entire life and your entire identity, particularly, you know, if if you're a founder and you're working on a startup, like you're going to have highs, you're also going to have lows. And it's so dangerous if the lows are so dangerous, if you've only got one thing. So now I'm very intentional about I need to make time in my life for other pursuits that allow me to learn and building really strong relationships. Those are huge on uh, happiness and are very, very strongly related to any study on happiness. And yeah, just being very intentional about I need balance. Yeah, I think there's a common misconception around founders um, and just people who look at founders that we do just one thing, that all of our soul and energy is focused on this one business. And as a founder, as a second time founder, I can say that's not true. Um, the lows are, or before I even talk about the lows, it's it's more about having a vision in your mind, um, at least for me. I have a vision in my mind. I know what I want to bring into this world. I know the type of impact I want to make being a social entrepreneur. So I do many things that get me there. And they're often tied um, and I mean, they're, they're absolutely connected. Um, So on the surface, you might see me just doing Edvo, for example, and feel like my entire life is about Edvo, but I am involved with so many different things because if one part of the business is really low, yeah, it's, it's freaking hard. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. And, and I learned from my first company, how uh, toxic it can be to have all of your energy in this one thing and have no other outlet or no other motivation to keep you going. So I completely, absolutely agree with that from the founder lens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the change has been, you know, success. I mean, I guess, I guess I started, I don't want to say like, oh, I don't want to be successful, but it's that definition of success isn't, oh, you know, get a, high status, high paying job and continue to progress along that job. That's, that's not what success looks like to me anymore. It actually might be what success is for, um, if people like really look deep down that maybe some people have that, that's their definition. But for me, success is really just waking up in the morning and feeling energized about what it is I'm going to do. And it doesn't mean that it has to be like easy or like, pleasant. It can be super challenging and really, really hard, but I'm like excited to take on that challenge and just having energy that that's, that's what success looks like to me. Um, because I never want to be where I was before where I had, where I had lost that. Um, and in order to, you know, actually accomplish that I think that mix is critical because it's not any one thing that you do is probably unlikely to always be great so you have to be able to have multiple things that you can lean back on if one goes down whether that one thing is a relationship or a job or or whatever else well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, and I am excited for all of the different things that you're exploring right now and um, to see the journey of Next Brand as well. Uh, how can how can our listeners follow along and get in touch with you? Yeah, so I would, uh, I would encourage them if um, 
mean, I hope this story didn't resonate with whoever is listening. Um, if you made it this far, it probably did. And um, if it did, I hope it was helpful to you to hear hear this. Um, I'd encourage you to go check out that Medium article. So if you just Google Sasha Shilko, it'll pop up or type that into Medium. And if you're curious, you can check out nextbrand.com. It's in an early beta stage. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. And yes, I've read that article, so I definitely recommend everyone check it out. Again, it's titled My Friends in SF Scared Me. That's still the title, right, Sasha? They they actually, so um, a, a medium publication picked it up, so they actually changed it to um, I thought Silicon Valley burnout couldn't happen to me, but then it did. Uh, but it it was My Friends in San Francisco Scared Me for a long time when it actually got very popular. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm glad we verified. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Thank you so much, Sasha, again, for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Shireen.